What's going on, everybody? Nate here. We did a, another Facebook Live interview on Monday with uh, Demetrius, myself, and Rob Hovick, and uh, I'm just getting around to uploading it right now. We've uh, also had, of course, in your feeds, uh, the regular Tuesday show, as well as an episode that Demetrius did, and we are going to be going live tomorrow. Uh, so I guess for full disclosure, today is Thursday. We are going to be doing another live video tomorrow at about 1 p.m., uh, Central Time on the Cue It Up Network Facebook page. So if you want to catch a, a podcast live, we're going to be live tomorrow right around 1 p.m. Central. And it's just because there was so much news this week with the uh, the Jason Shaw running 714 that uh, we weren't able to get everything into one show. In fact, we were only able to get uh, that on the show. So uh, we're going to have another episode tomorrow. And I'm working on getting Jason Shaw on again. Uh, maybe it'll happen tonight. Uh, maybe it'll happen tomorrow. Not exactly sure, but it's going to happen soon. And we're going to talk uh, more explicitly and a little more one-on-one to discuss this 714 and all the ins and outs of that and all that fun stuff. So uh, you have that to look forward to in your podcast feeds. I think we're going to end up probably having maybe five episodes this week. So yay for content. Woohoo! Now, as far as content goes, it is all... Basically able to happen because of the awesome Patreons that we have. And uh, we have an update for that. We have uh, several new people who have joined the Patreon in the last few weeks. Uh, And I have neglected on giving them a shout out. So I want to make sure that I do that now. Uh, Thank you very much to Chris Wagner, Mike Sopko, uh, Magnus Edsto, I hope that's right, Magnus Esto, and then uh, Cody Wedding. So thank you guys all very, very much. Uh, we also had uh, Jason Gibbs, but he's been uh, in the past, uh, and he forgot that its card got renewed or something like that. So he forgot he was needing to update that. So welcome back, Jason. Big supporter of all the things that I do. Thank you very much. And, of course, if you would like to become a Patreon, Uh, You get to, I guess, support the future of the show as well as we're going to be giving away a custom carbon fiber white shaft at the end of this month. So that is going to be the prize for the Patreons this month. Uh, You have until, I guess, February 1st to be able to get your entries in for that, which is basically just joining the podcast's Patreon program. So you can do that with the link in the description for this video. You could also just go to patreon.com forward slash queue it up. Uh, that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash queue it up. And that is all of the announcements I have to get out of the way in the beginning. So without further ado, here is our weekly episode. I'm a real deal. I'll shoot your liver out and hand it to I'll make sure I wear them the next podcast we do so I can just flash it. I'm sure Demetrius would very much appreciate that as well as the viewers. <laughs> I don't know, man. My uh, my eyesight is precious to me. As a pool player, I can't afford to go blind. We can, we can block you out of there somehow. Nate can edit you out for just a split second. <laughs> That's what we need to get. Uh, Demetrius, you need to get on that uh, that monster kick so we can get um, them sponsoring the show too. I wanted to. I did I tell you I wanted to I wanted them to make a pool cue where the points were the claws of the monster. 
and then that little monster logo at the bottom. I thought that would be the coolest cue ever made. You would you would just ditch yours right away and just go straight to it? Yeah, the only thing better, the only other idea I've had, somebody can steal this. I wanted to make a Lucky Charms cue where you have all of the marshmallows around the wrap. You know, the, the red balloon and the lightning bolt or the purple star or whatever, the horseshoe. And then at the bottom, you have Lucky the Leprechaun. I thought that would be a great cue. <laughs> okay. That seems like, uh, that really honestly seems like a... Uh... Like a McDermott type of cue. Yeah. Let's go, Rico. Let's go, Rico Torres. Here's your uh here's your here's your test to see if you listen to the podcast or not. Yeah. We need, we yeah. need a lucky charms cue. Demetrius will buy Maybe it. a Looney Tunes cue. Make me a lucky charms cue. Yeah, Looney Tunes, that's pretty good. Warner I, Brothers and I honestly I I I had a prescription from a dentist, uh, this is a few years back, to put a Looney Tunes character on the side of a tooth I was making. Yeah, and you did it right. It was Daffy Duck. Yeah, I did it. It was Daffy Duck. It turned out beautiful, and it's baked on, you know, like in a kill in a furnace. It gets baked on, so it's permanent. Perfect. And it turned out just fine. So this lady has Daffy Duck on one of her teeth. <laughs> so anything's possible in this world in this day and age. Yeah, and uh, right. did, didn't you make up the offer that you'd put a nine ball on someone's tooth if they needed a tooth? I did. There's a player over in Wassa who has a nine ball on a bicuspid, an upper bicuspid. And then there's another player who lives up in Abbotsford who has no fear nine ball. In other words, the first tooth on a three-tooth bridge says no. The pontic in the I, middle says fear. And the last tooth has a nine ball on it. You know what you should do? You <laughs> should make up a you should make up a three ball for uh Ryuto Gomez so that he could get it right on the front. You can get a nice three ball. <laughs> and then uh maybe like a six ball right next to it. Yeah, I could do that. <laughs> so come no on, problem. you guys gotta know that you guys gotta know this drama by now. Come on, that, that was really funny. I don't know. I don't, know. I don't know the reference. Sorry, Nate. Oh no, Demet. Oh, all right. So the the situ we're gonna talk about this at length tomorrow. So don't worry. This will be like a, a nice little preview. Uh, Rayuto Gomez was playing uh, Efren Reyes in New York City, and they were playing ten ball, and it was hill hill. And you know, I'll I'll kind of drop the scenario. I guess we'll we'll uh, we'll do like a little thing here. It'll be great. It's arts and crafts time. And uh, this is the three ball, and the six ball is like right here. So if you can see this. Uh, the three balls against the rail, okay, and the six balls down in the corner. Is it like and a sideboard? Is it or does it block the pocket, or is it like a sideboard? Well, it goes. It, okay, it goes. It's both. It's in that spot where it's it's both. It both. It, it not only goes. It will not go clean, but it not only goes. You can also play the combination on it. So okay. Rayuto Gomez walks around the table and points right at the three ball, and then shoots the six ball in and keeps shooting. <laughs> On Hill Hill playing Efren Reyes. <laughs> he just played it off like like that's what he was trying to do. Yeah, 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 totally. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's it was streamed. It was streamed live to Facebook, so he just got completely torched online. You know, he makes a he makes a comment. He's like, "Well, you know, nobody tried to stop me shooting, and the, the only person that wanted me to stop shooting was Efren's backers, and they wouldn't do it because they know I'd break their arms." <laughs> Tell you, so I don't he, even know like, what to say. He like tough got it. He tough got it. It was great. So I think you should make up a three ball for uh, Rayuto Gomez and uh, you know get it right there in the front tooth. That'd be fun. <laughs> he has or to have could... a tooth. 
He has to go to a dentist and get the tooth prep first, and they got to send me the impression. Then I can make or, anything. Or maybe maybe he would ask for the three ball, and then you'd actually give him the six ball. <laughs> yeah. And then he'd use it anyways. Yeah. He'll just take it, yeah. Well, hey, <laughs> they're both round. Come maybe. on. Yeah, and it's red-green. I mean, it, maybe he's red-green colorblind. That could be. All right, that's enough of that. We're going to talk about that at length tomorrow. So, but but today, this is not a normal recap episode. This is going to just be talking to Rob and Demetrius, because last week they went uh, in two different tournaments and they played their passions. So Demetrius was at Turning Stone Classic, and uh, Rob, you were at what is the official name of that? Well, I looked online and what I saw was the uh, Casino del Sol Grand Slam three cushion event. Yeah, it's Grand Slam because there's actually four. Uh, three cushion billiard events in one tournament. So that's why he named it that. Okay. It started out four years ago as just a B player tournament. In other mm -hmm. words, 0. 0.8 or less could only play in it. And uh, that would be like a 599 and under a Fargo tournament or something. And uh, he did that to encourage players like me to go and travel and play in these three cushion billiard tournaments. And that it was a success. Then he added a scotch doubles to it the next year. And you could have one B player and then one professional player, high, higher number player. And uh, then and then he added this year actually an open division where anybody could play of any caliber. And then he uh, offered a handicap division. So it was actually uh, seven days of billiards with four different separate tournaments playing at the same time. Uh, uh, the, the B started first one day early to get a lot of those matches going and out of the way and done so that logistically it could be managed. Uh, but it really was run. Ricky Caranco Jr. Uh, ran it perfectly. Uh, really did an outstanding job. He was on the ball. He was on that mic going, okay, one minute to warm up here. That's it. Hey, you're over there two minutes. Now let's get going, you know. And he kept, he just kept things going on site. So that's and why it was a grand slam. What did you play in? What did you play? Which divisions did you play in? I, I played in the B and the handicapped. Uh, uh, it was a little more money to play in the open, another 120 bucks or so. So I, I wasn't going to, I, I'm basically donating in any tournament, three cushion tournament I get into anyways. I just wasn't willing to donate an extra hundred plus 220. So it was uh, 440 bucks to get in the two tournaments I was in. Would have been another 320 to get in the open. And nobody asked me to play in the scotch for obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. And Demetrius, you played down Demetrius, you played down at Turning Stone. Well, I guess yeah. over at Turning Stone, maybe I should say. How was that? Oh, it was a treat, man. Yeah. It was a big treat. And I uh, you know, uh I just want to get back. So thank you, Ryan, in the comments. And then uh, yeah, last night, if anyone's interested, I was um uh, doing commentary for a little Chris. So if you want to check out little Chris's YouTube channel, he has a, a video where he's, he's working towards a hundred ball run at straight pool. And last night I jumped on and did some commentary and we even had a run where I was doing uh walking him through, telling him what to shoot. He was trying to shoot my patterns and stuff like that. It was pretty fun. Uh, I just want to take a real quick second to say, thank you. I, I'm not going to plug the boot camp too much today. I'll just mention uh, that I do training at mnpoolbootcamp.com, minnesotapoolbootcamp.com. Uh, you don't have to be around here. Check out the website. People fly in because it's a three-day boot camp. But I mostly just want to say thank you for people because, um, you know, 
I've had a good start to the year. I've booked out until May now, and so that's really exciting. But uh, you know, here I am. I two two and a half years ago, I would have been working at a corporate gig right now, and now I'm talking pool and playing pool and competing. And so I don't feel entitled to that at all. I feel like really, really, really grateful. And I feel a sense of responsibility that in exchange for that, like I really want to help everybody that's interested in getting better, have a better, deeper, more profound relationship with a the game they love. So I, I'm not looking for, you know, handouts to just, I, I think I just get to be so cool. I get to go around and play pool, but I just really appreciate you and anything I can do to help anybody watching get better at pool. I, I feel, um, very motivated, but yes. So, so thank you guys, because it's for you. You're it's because of the people that come and train with me that I get to go and play tourney stall. So I want to thank everybody. Yeah. You got, uh, to, I do play, want... you got to play Earl out there. That is true. You got to play and Fedor and you, uh, yeah, was close with you and Fedor, wasn't it? You know, he's a, yeah. he's a robot, isn't he? It's sick. Yeah. So I was actually, if it's okay, uh, I had an idea if I can have a, you know, just a couple highlights of the matches I played and a couple, couple maybe tidbits from those matches. Uh, I, you know, I don't plan on going into more than like a minute or two for each match, but is that okay if I just kind of walk through my tournament? Yeah, go, yeah. yeah, that's what, that's why you're on here. That's why we're yeah, talking I'd to you like guys. I'd like to hear it, Demi. Cool, cool. So I, um, yeah, it's funny, you know, the draw means a lot in a field like that because you've got people that are in the 500 Fargos and you've got people that are in the 800 Fargos. Yeah. And so there's a lot of variance to the draw. I had kind of a tough draw. It looked good in the beginning, but Fedor was in my group of 16. And in that field, Fedor and Shaw were like the two juggernaut players that were like by far playing the best pool of the tournament. Then you had like a second group of guys like Earl, Mika, I'm trying to think, you know, some of the gentlemen from Kuwait, uh, you know, you had uh, a few other players like that ilk that were playing really, really strong. But there's no question that Earl and Shaw were playing really tough. So to have Fedor in my group of 16 in a 128-man bracket, you know, it's it's a little tough because even if I get through my first few matches, it's really hard to get past Fedor. So the when I got out there, the first match, I thought it was a good draw. Uh, I looked up the guy's Fargo rate. He was like a 581 or something. So I'm thinking, okay, race to nine. You know, it's a pretty good warm-up match for me. It's really hard for a 580 plays good pool, but it's hard for a 580 to take me in a set to nine. But it turned out to be a 15-year-old, Garrett Vaughn, who's like some junior national player, up-and-comer. And so when I was thinking about a 580, I had one picture in my head of how it was going to be. And then when I got there, <laughs> I didn't expect a 580 who's playing like a 630 and wants to be a 780. You know what I mean? So it's like, I was not playing against some guy that was like nervous and kind of like out of his game. It's like, this kid was coming for me, like shooting really straight and loose. And it was a little dicey. He had a couple early combos and uh, it was a little frustrating because he had two one nine combos. You know, I was up like, I got up three to two. He had a combo and a run out. And then at three to two, he got a save. And I, he took some, got ball in hand. It took some flyer at the one nine and made the thing to go three, three. But then, then I ended up winning from there, nine three. So uh, once I got rolling, he kind of he kind of broke down a little bit, and you know he was really, I don't know. We had a we had a talk for about half an hour afterwards because he was really um, his dad was watching in the stands, and he felt like a lot of pressure to like he just he felt a lot of performance pressure, and so we had some good talks, and I friended him on Facebook, and I I referred him over to one of my coaches' corners where I talk a little bit about process versus results because. You know, when you're playing in tournaments, like I just I was surprised at how like disappointed he was that he wasn't beating me. And I'm just like, I don't know, man, you're you're 15. You're playing in a pro tournament against a good player. <laughs> just, 
it just seems like this is your chance to have fun and, and learn and, and swing. And anyway, so not he much to it, say. He took it serious. And, and I felt like his, he was really concerned that his dad was going to be really critical of some of his shot selections or his performance or, you know, I just, it just seems like, it seemed like he had, a, he was under a lot of pressure. And um, anyway, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, think, I don't need to go into that any further. So it was, it was tough. And then, uh, but the second match was the weird one. And I think the second match was one of the really pivotal matches of the tournament. Cause I played this gentleman, Ron Casanzio. And he's like a 700 from out in the Northeast. And he's a, you know, he's a little bit older. He's a little bit older than me, but um, he's been playing up there for a long time. And I guess he's a, him and Bucky are like the two steady winners of the Joss tour. And so I didn't know that. I just knew he was a good player. And this one was, was tough because uh, this is I mean, early enough in the tournament. If I win this match, it's, it's, it means well, but if I lose, you know, it's, it's a big set and uh, race to nine, I had him four to two. And then he won five in a row to get me down seven, four. And things were really rolling his way. Now he was playing really well. I don't want to take, I mean, of course he was playing really well, but when I got to the table, it just seems like every time I kicked, he'd get a shot and run out. And every time he kicked, he'd wrestle behind something. And even if I did get a shot, it was one of those shots where it's like, I can make the one, but I'm running into balls and there's no way to get on the two. And there's just the balls. Or if I do go into balls, then they tied up with each other. And I have to play some kind of neutral safety where I'm not really, I never really had anything that you, you know what I mean? Where you want to look at. I never really had a look at something where I'm like, yeah, I can win from here. And he kept me off the shot really well. And it was very frustrating because uh, he played well. And then things were kind of rolling his way too. And so as I thought about like the lesson from this match, I think that when the other guys kind of got the momentum and the roles are going their way, sometimes the it just turns around and it's all right. Just you get a little lucky. They, you know, usually if they blow a shot or hang something up or give you a rack, but if they're not giving you anything, it seems like, and maybe Nate, maybe you could speak to this, but I've always felt like, you have to, you can't wait for the roles to even out. You can't wait for a reasonable opportunity. You can't wait for something that you like. It's but it seems like if you can play through one rack and just <laughs> overcome whatever you need to overcome for one rack, whether it's like, okay, it's not really fair that you got welded to the rail or you got over this one ball that you could have gotten over, and now you got to accept a lot of distance on this next shot and everything's off angle and nothing's really working out. But if you can just get through one rack like that where it's not fair. It seems like things turn around after that. What are you, have, am I crazy? Have you noticed that? No, you're not crazy at all, Demi. That is that is exactly the way reality is. I I mean, I had a situation like that, and maybe that's just the difference between uh, uh, your level and my level. But I've been I've been back playing a lot of pool the last few weeks, and I've had a pretty good string of tournaments so far. I, I I've actually I think I've played in about nine tournaments in the last month, and I've actually won oh. six of them. So I've been playing yeah. some really good pool. Uh, I feel like I'm uh, I feel like I'm getting my game up there pretty, you know, to a nice level. And I had this situation yesterday where I'm playing against a, an actual a good friend of mine and his name is John Lee. And, uh, you know, I'm watching him play. And I wish this I wish this was streamed hmm. because like I'm, I'm watching it. I'm playing in this match with me and the first rack. Uh, he's got the break and he, he, he comes in like super nervous. And with it's only a race to five, five for me, four for him. And he he's, he starts his first match. And he breaks and runs down and gets bad on the nine ball, playing nine ball. And he misses a bank shot, swipes the rack. You know, the nine ball is going to be straight in for me, whatever. 
and then it's alternate the break. So I go up there and I just, I just have a brain fart. Like I, I'm playing at my, my normal pool room and I know exactly how every single one of the tables break. And I know where I got a break from playing nine ball to get up, you know, the wing ball down. And I just have a brain fart. I'm not really thinking, you know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of actually thinking how fortunate I am that uh, he missed this nine ball. And, you know, I, I go up and I rack the balls and I throw my cue ball over on the side rail and I hit the rack and I'm like, the rack just goes like, like nothing. It's, it's, it's like four balls get out of the rack. It's a terrible rack and it's just awful. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I know that I know this table breaks terrible from this side. Why did I break from this side? And meanwhile, John Lee's up at the table and he's got like a, a run out that you're not even supposed to try to run out of. And he gets out of it comfortably, like <laughs> easily comfortably, like every single position. And it's not like, it's not, it's not necessarily, sorry if you're watching John, it's not necessarily because he was playing good position. I mean, he was just running into balls left and right. You know, he was breaking out balls on accident and getting, you know, layouts out of it. He never shot a hard shot and he probably ran into a ball on six of his nine shots. <laughs> and then he breaks and runs his next rack in the same exact fashion. Right. Oh, so it, it's, you know, it's it bumping balls all over the place. You know, he's, he's, he missed a ball once and it went off another ball and went into the same pocket he was playing <laughs> in anyways. And then you, and then he gets up two to one and uh, I got the break and I break and run. And then he breaks and runs on me again in the exact same fashion. So, like Demetrius, the only reason I'm bringing this up is just, like I think this is the difference between my level and your level, Demetrius, where I'm I'm a notch, maybe two notches below you, but I think you can find ways to shoot out of what you have, and it's really hard for me on my own to turn around that momentum because I'm down three to two, he's going to four, and I'm going to five, so he's on the hill, and I gotta win, I gotta win uh, two straight, not a big deal, but I gotta do it right, <laughs> and I break, I break and run down to the eight ball. And I have a very, I, it's not an easy eight ball or no, it's a dead straight in eight ball. Sorry. The position is not easy. The nine balls on the short rail frozen to the second diamond, basically. Of course, and my yeah. eight ball and my eight ball is sitting on the long rail frozen to the rail, yes. uh, frozen to the rail. And I got a base and I get dead straight in on it. So I got to draw the ball straight back down table, uh, to get basically within, you know, let's say, let's say two diamonds of the, the bottom rail At and least, I draw it yeah, back. Yeah. yeah. And I draw and I draw the cue ball back, and it's going right in between about the let's say the, the the quarter of a diamond out of the pocket and a half a diamond out of the pocket, and the ball's just rolling and it just goes like this. Oh, it hooks into the corner, and then it scratches on. Oh, that's so gross! That's so gross. Like, and, and I set the, and I, and I and I you know I grab the cue ball as it's falling in, and I'm not mad. You know, it's just it, it just a you know it is what it is. But I go back there and I set the cue ball down, and I just kind of shoot it down the rail. And the ball goes, it does the same thing. It gets to about uh, like a, you know, about the a side side pocket and it actually takes the opposite direction. So the table's perfectly level. The cue ball is just a little bit weird. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it, like that's the kind of, like that was the kind of roles I was kind of getting, not, not me personally, because I was actually, I, my roles were actually kind of neutral. I, I didn't think I got good roles. I didn't think I got bad roles, but I thought John Lee got really, really, really good roles <laughs> and he played well. And like, I, the only reason I bring this up is because like, I feel like if that was you, Demetrius, you would have ran that out. You would have had the break and you'd have broken ran. Where at well, my level, at about a 675, yeah. 6, 675, 680, I think I'm playing a little better than that right now still. But, you know, at that level, like, I have to still rely on those kind of roles to, like, the, to get me out of where I'm at. I can't create my own roles to, like, overcome well, bad things. Let and me think I, about I guess I want to congratulate you. You don't create a bad that. role, Nate. That just happens. I just want to congratulate well, you on, yeah. on a great series of tournaments and a great bunch of wins. The one thing that I've had on my mind, so lately I've been playing pretty well, and um, 
And I just, I think about how I was just talking to somebody over the weekend. We did a boot camp and we had a late night conversation. I was just remarking about how, like, I quit pool when I was 18 for five years. And I, I, I'd, I'd given up the idea of being, you know, a great player or whatever. And when I started playing again at 23, I, I never had any, I, I, I never renewed any kind of ambition. I'd already decided, like, yeah, I'm not going to ever be like Federal Course. But what I didn't understand when I was 23 was how long life is. And, and so what happens is, you know, I, I felt like I'd already given up five years of my life not playing and I'd already, you know, taken my eye off the number one spot as any kind of ambition. So I just thought that meant I could never get anywhere with pool. But what happens is if I, if you just keep playing year after year after year after year, as long as you're trying to get better, those, those incremental improvements over a series of years really add up. And it may not add up to Fedor or Shaw, but it adds up to where I'm playing a hell of a game of pool right now. And so for you, you're you're still in your 20s, and it's like you might feel like, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to be a top, top player. I'm not putting in that much work into your game. But if you continue to try to improve, and every year you try to get 10, you know, 5%, 3% better year after year after year, there's no reason that 10 years from now you're not playing, you know, 750 pool. You know what I mean? And it's like maybe you're not going to go the Tyler Steyer route where you're just full-time touring around. But, like, the just because you're not all in, doesn't mean you can't play a hell of a game of pool. And I mean, you already play a hell of a game of pool. I'm just saying there's no reason you, I, I'm still quietly watching for you to, you know, especially with what you're doing, you're, you're watching all the top players, talking to top players, going to tournaments, playing in tournaments. Uh, you know, I, I don't see any reason why, why you're not going to have a super bright future. Uh, it may not be, you know, shooting up to the number one spot in the world and winning matchroom events, but uh, I, I look for you to have a pretty, pretty fun future. So. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm enjoying the game right now, and I think that's the fun part is I'm actually enjoying playing right now. It's um, it's been a while since I've actually been at this point where I'm really enjoyed playing for this long a time, and maybe you know, you know, winning a couple tournaments, and then uh, you know, I, I was actually lucky enough to uh to hit the uh the break and run yesterday for the tournament, so I made a little money yeah. out of that at two at two fifty a ball, so that was kind of nice. fun. And uh, yeah, LJ, if you're still watching, thanks for the the shout out for that. Um. Yeah, it's 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 been fun, you know, I, but uh, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe as I go on and I continue a little bit more, I'll start talking a little bit more about my career as well. But uh, right now I'm just trying to continuously maintain the love for the game and uh, competing again. So, well, I, you know, um, in, in, in competition, uh, success breeds happiness and and happiness breeds more success. That's right. They both feed on each other. And you can see that uh, uh, all the time. The more you win, uh, the more confident you are, the happier you are, and the more you're going to win. Uh, and then, of course, it depends who you're playing. I mean, if you play play five Federer Gorse, I, I don't know how happy you're going to be at the end of the day. I would be extremely happy because I got to watch one of the best players in the world beat me. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I – I agree. And I just think that uh, for and that's the same thing for that's why I do what I do is because everybody listening and watching, it's like you might have decided, you know, when you, you know, yeah, I don't get to be a top player. So I'll just play leagues and hit balls in my basement. But that doesn't mean that you can't keep learning and growing and that over 10, right. 20, 30 years, your team can't incrementally go from, you know, 500 to 550 to 600 to 650. And not everybody's going to get 700 plus. But I'll tell you, I think that anybody I'll tell I'll, I'll say it this way. Anybody that where pool remains a steady passion in their life for decades, there's no reason why they shouldn't be playing, you know, whether it's 600 or 650 level pool. Like, I think that you can get well into the 600s with just a steady, 
passion for the game and incremental improvement. Uh, I don't, I don't think anybody should ever feel like, you know, that they're, you know, like they're just at five 30 and that's as far as they're going to get without like quitting their jobs. Like, no, 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 That's, and that's why I do what I do. Okay. Yeah. So I, yeah, go ahead. Demi. So I just going to finish this. So I, so I'm down seven, four to this guy. Things are rolling really good for him. I had, once again, I finally got a shot. And once again, it was a really uncooperative, challenging table. But I just fought my way through one set of adversity that I just felt like I had to run out. I had to settle for some shots that I didn't want to settle for. But anything else, I could have maybe gotten better. But it would be risky. I might risk missing or I might miss losing my cue ball. So I just had to take what the table gave me, do stuff I knew I could do, except that I was going to have to come with some testy shots. And I ground through this rack, came with those shots, got it to 7-5. And that one rack turned it around. And then I got it back to 7-7. Seven, seven. I get kissed in on the break. He runs out, 8-7. And then at 8-7, we had this really, really cool. I went for this nine-ball carom that was like maybe inadvisable how tricky and tough it was. But I just felt like I needed to put the nine-ball down right there and found a way to make it go in and went at 8-8. Eight, eight. And then at 8-8, eight, eight, man, Nate, I almost wanted to – if I send you a picture, can you put it on the screen? Yeah. Go on. Okay. Check this out. I got to send you this picture then. Because I played a safety at Hill Hill. And and he picked and hit the ball and welded me to where there was no hit on the one. Like, I truly felt that, like, there's most players I could give them, like, 50 tries to hit the one ball. And I just don't think that there was a hit on the one ball. And unfortunately... The only picture I have, I have the diagram of what ended up happening. The uh, I was wedged behind the two ball. Oh, see if I, I'm going to take one more shot to find it here. I was wedged behind the two ball. Or I'm sorry, I was wedged behind the seven ball, and the two ball didn't pass the seven into the corner. So I didn't want to risk breaking them open because I at least wanted him to have to earn it with the uh, two seven. Okay, I'm not going to find it, so I'll just forget it. Forget it. Uh, I didn't want to move the seven because the two didn't pass the seven. It was going to be at least a little bit of work. But it was one of these shots where I had to kick into the end rail. And then, you know, the, like that one pocket shot where you kick into the end rail and then it comes off slides a little bit and then hooks back with a mass A. Like you elevate, spear into the rail, and it banks and then hooks. Yep. It was like that. But I had to have it slide two feet off of the end rail before it hooked. <laughs> because it was like there were so many balls in the rack area. Like I was on the, I was right by the corner pocket and I had to kick into the end rail, slide two feet past all the balls in the rack and then do like a right angle hook. So I had nothing. I didn't want to move the seven. So I elevated up and I had to hit hard, man. I hit hard with like 80 degree elevation, pounded the cue ball into the rail, sliding across table towards the other side rail. And it hooks back, does a right angle turn, rolls up table and clips the one in the side pocket. And I'm like, I'm telling you, I didn't think there was, I'd never hit that shot before. I like that anyway. I never thought that that would go. I just had a free roll on it. And then the two didn't pass the seven, like I mentioned. So now I'm up table. So I play a length of the table cut bank, banking the two to the end rail and diagonally across table like a one-pocket shot, trying to play like a two-way shot and get it behind balls in the rack area. And the ball goes in. Then I end up getting – I end up <laughs> I ended up not being able to put down the three. It was not – I didn't have to the three. And I kind of played a two-way. And at that point, I think the guy was just rattled because he didn't return a good safety and he left me a shot. I ran out. And so – Something about like, I don't know, man, something about like getting through that tough rack and then just coming at it. It's like, here's a really good player, but he just rattled a little bit on the hill and I got away with one. So I beat Ron 9-8 and I'll tell you, if you ask him, he would tell you that he was supposed to win that match and he dogged it or that or that I got lucky. And that's probably all true. 
But <laughs> nevertheless, I ended up winning that match. So that was super tough match, and that was a big one. Yeah. So, because then my next match was like against, you know, the player was lower rated. I used to get rattled when I'd play guys like, you know, sometimes I'd play guys like, you know, 50 to 100 points lower than me on Fargo rate. It's like you have expectation. You feel like you're supposed to win, but they're playing good and they're hungry and they're trying to, they're good players. You know, I mean, anybody in the 650 range, I mean, they're great players, but I, I've, I've just grown a lot since the last few years and I just feel very comfortable like playing my game. And I don't know if I'm always, I'm not going to win all the time, but I at least, I'm not going to like play down to their level and slow down and wait for them to give me racks because they're lower rated. And no, no, no. I just played my game and won pretty routine. So then, um, so I won my first three and then I played Fedor. <sighs> and <laughs> Fedor, I, I, I won the leg and I made four balls in the break and scratched cross side on the cut break oh, and he no. runs out. And then he, scratches cross side of the cut break it doesn't make a ball and i have a tough nine ball run and i made a tough run to go one one and so i since i scratched on my first break i tried to make a little adjustment i came up dry and he ran like five racks on me and it was just but i'm telling you the way he ran these racks i there's i could spend an hour failing to explain how well this guy plays right now this i'm sure that he played the best technically best set of pool at the tournament because i've never seen a set of pool all I can say, Nate, is if you had a virtual pool, like computer game, where you got to move around the speed and the, the hit and it going into balls and drawing out exactly where you wanted every ball to end up after breaks and hook draws or you know one rails into into the side of a ball for a breakout or you know whatever whatever you, he he executed as if he had a virtual pool game and he controlled the rotation of every ball to the inch, all set. It was and it was. And like tough, tough, tough. It was not going easy for him. He was not getting rolls. He was not getting favorable layouts. And it didn't matter because he just, it was like he had ball. It was like, it got to the point where I'm like, if, if I had ball on hand on every shot, I don't know if I could beat Fedor. I mean, I just, <laughs> I don't, I don't even know that I could beat him. It's just, it was so, the most so unbelievable thing ever. So what you're telling me is even Earl doesn't want any of that action with no side pockets on a 10 foot table. <laughs> I've never listen. I've never seen pool played that way. I've seen people catch gears, and maybe maybe when it comes to gambling matches or you know breaking and putting big packages together, you know maybe Shane has a ten ball gear, or maybe Dennis could get there. I, I I really don't know if like maybe he doesn't have the seasoning to respond when people play back at him, or I I, like, I don't know. I just know that obviously he's if he's not the best in the world, he's obviously in the conversation. But I because there's mental. There's other parts of the game besides physical, but I'll tell you the physical game. He plays physically better than anybody that's ever held a cue. I don't think anybody that's ever held a cue in the history of pool strikes the balls as well and and cleanly and accurately with cue ball shot making. You know, elevated distance, like every part of the game. He is the best, technically best pool player I've ever seen walk the earth. Nice. Any any debate about that, or what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm certainly. It had to be a treat. I mean. I, I agree with you as far as like the, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're not making a statement that he is the greatest of all time. You're saying that he, he does a, he does a, a list of things better than everyone else. And I, I think it's, I think you're really struggling to find anybody who does strike the ball better than him, uh, especially shot in and shot out. I mean, the guy just does not make mistakes like that, that little, like, uh, have you ever, ever, ever seen him decelerate through a shot? Hmm. No. 
I like, I mean, every now and then you'll catch a player and you'll be like, yep, he missed that because, you know, he decelerated through his stroke. I, I've never seen Fedor decelerate through a stroke ever. I mean, yeah, he, he is in control of his cueing, his cueing and his control over his cue stick. Uh, he hits the balls. His cue moves soft with length, kind of like a Tyler Steyer or something where he comes back, pauses, slews start, and it's really chilling to watch in person. You can watch on a screen. It does nothing. But when you watch in person, he's like back, and it's just like this butter, soft, medium swing where it comes floats, nice. starts really smooth and soft, ends up with a medium, and it's like – and the balls are lively and reactive and crawling around. I mean, and, and he – just really, really crisp. Well, anyway, yeah, the best, the best striker in the world when it comes to yeah. There, there's no doubt in my mind he's the best striker in the world. So again, when it comes to heads up gambling matches, um, that's a different story. But I think he's proven. I think Mike Page just did a post where he's been playing over an 850 level for like this last six months or something. He just, I mean, he got second in Turning Stone. He just won the AZ uh, 10 ball, right? So it's like obviously the guys. I mean, he just finals two tournaments in a row and won one of them. And I, I mean, obviously and he's a world champion and there's no question. There's there. I don't know that there's any hotter tournament player in the world right now than Fedor. And when it comes Alvin. to gambling, maybe Alvin, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to argue with that, but I don't know, man. I think that, uh, yeah, I, I don't know that anyway. So I would love to see a match between like Fedor and Dennis. I think that would be an interesting nine ball match, but uh, who? I mean, sidetrack, but who do you like in that match? If they played a race to 129 ball, it depends. It depends how many of the rules that uh, Dennis could get in his favor. I mean, right? Because uh, we all know that. I mean, I mean, let's be real. I mean, uh, Shane played Dennis in Dennis's rules twice, and you know when Dennis gets his rules uh, in the way that he wants them. I mean, he's the dude. The dude might be the greatest who ever did it at his. You know, at his particular I, rules, and yeah. it's pretty hard. Really to good. Beat. <laughs> it's pretty hard to beat what Dennis did to Shane. Those says anyway. It's an interesting question. It's been on my mind ever since that Fedor match. I, I I mean, Fedor is still like really young, so I'm really interested to see what happens over the next three, four years with Fedor. Hey, he's only um, 23. Yeah, 22. I, I don't even. Is he even he's, something like that? He's either 20. He's 22 or 23. I know that. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'll put the yeah. I'll put the queue it up I team on it. The so the best, but, um, the best is ahead of him. So Fedor gets yeah. me down like six to one. I had yeah, one more 21. chance. Yeah, that's what I thought. And it, so I had one more chance, and I dogged it. I mean, I, I, I was just shell-shocked. I mean, it was 1-1, one, one, and then it was 6-1, and it just felt like completely devastated. Now, I will admit, I dogged it. Like, I ran up to the 9. I missed a touchy 9, but it, I missed a 9. And and I'll tell you, I was disappointed because after that, he beats, nine, he beats me 9-1. to one. I didn't really get another shot. And I'll tell you, part of me is like, you know, I don't mind losing to Fedor. The way he played, it's completely irrelevant. But... If I'd made that ball and went six to two, and let's suppose that I break and run two racks and go six four, then I'm not saying Federer's going to rattle, but like if you want to win sets against the best in the world, you can't just get down six to one and be like, watch a guy run five racks and be like, well, I can't win. Who am I kidding? I mean, you know, if I'm going to win a set like this, I need him to be coming up dry and dogging it. I need a lead. Like that mentality doesn't scale to good pool. And I just feel like I was kind of. I was kind of defeated once he ran those five racks on me, which to be fair, I think a lot of people would be. Uh, but, but I feel like when I was down six to one, if I, and I dug deep and I made some hard shots to come with that, but if I could have just put that nine down, I don't, I'm not saying I would have won, but I would have loved to have put that nine ball down and then run a rack or two off my break and at least be like, 
you're going to have to get all the way to nine before I quit. And I just don't feel like I got all the way to nine before I quit. I feel like I just kind of was a little defeated. And it's hard to be too critical of myself, first of all, because I think almost anybody could feel that way. And secondly, it's hard to really worry about it too much because in that match, it wouldn't have mattered. But in the future, that that will matter. And so I have room to improve. Like, just my response to that was a little bit weak. But then, um, well, I think all in all, yeah. you know, jumping in to a tournament like that, though, I mean, we talked to uh, the players out there who are uh, folks just trying to get better. They're in their 500s or whatever, and they always want to keep improving. And that's a really good example, Demetrius, of, of jumping into a tournament where you know there's a percentage of players in that tournament that are grand champions at this game. And you're going to be up against them at some point in time in that tournament and have an opportunity. And that's how you're going to get better at the game, not just teaching it and, and studying at home, but to actually play against these better players. Yeah, and, like Jay Steger says here, you are who you hang out with and who you compete against. And yeah, you're absolutely you right. Against, you know? Definitely. Yeah. So then, there's no question there about that. I had the uh, good fortune in the handicap tournament to play a player uh, in three question named John Park. He's an Asian-American player who he came in fourth, I believe, two years ago at the Karam Cafe, Verhoeven Open out in New York. Uh, Pedro won it two years in a row. He was there at this tournament also. Uh, but John, I had uh, got to play, and my handicap against him going to 40 points was 20. I only had to make 20 points, and he had to make 40. Uh, it ended up I had a chance at uh, 39 to 37 to to go out <laughs> and and uh so i felt at that point you know uh, no matter what happens at this point i was in this handicap game with this professional player and and i just win or lose didn't matter to me then and it didn't matter to me at all and when the match was over he 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 turned to me and and he said uh he said robert you you have a tournament presence and I thought about what he meant by that because he didn't explain himself. And what I think what he meant was that you've obviously experienced playing in tournaments with better players before, whether it be pocket pool or billiard. He could tell I wasn't a three-cushion billiard player, that I was a pocket pool player, you know, with some history in the game. And so I, I really felt good about that, that comment, that he just had a presence at the table that was tournament tough, kind of is what he was saying. And he slapped, he won, I think he won 40 to 37, and he slapped four uh, points, just locked them in, which, which uh, in a race to 40 is going to happen even with the professionals, maybe two, two or three times. And yeah. what most guys do is they give you this wave, you know, they go, they yeah. go like this at the end of the table, not John Park. He takes bows. <laughs> he stands and bows. <laughs> <laughs> apologizing for his for his lucky shot and i just thought that was just so cool uh that you know he he would acknowledge a, a, a luck shot by bowing because it's his heritage you know doing that that kind that kind of stuff uh yeah. but but no you're you're what you're talking about table presence you're absolutely right and, you know and you can't that's the thing i was thinking about is you can't work on that in your basement you cannot work on that by reading a mental game book there's only one way to do it and that is to go out and have a match where you kind of 
dog it off the fed. Again, I missed one ball, so it's like really hard to feel like I dogged my brains out or anything. Right. But but as everything's relative to your ability and where your situation is, and so but until you go through that, um, and until like I wouldn't have gotten to where. Uh, so what? For example, what happened next is I played a guy on the stream table. I think this match is on YouTube where I played a guy who's in a in the mid six hundreds, and he was. Um, he was really freewheeling on me and getting some rolls. The guy slopped in four balls on me and, you know, just everything was kind of going his way. And he was like, maybe this is my set to win. And I just felt really, really, really calm and unperturbed. And at, and then at one point I, you know, I got a, a five, three lead and I think I broke and ran a couple racks. And next thing you know, he's, he's kind of defeated. And I, and then I turned it around and won the set pretty handily. So, so the point is, is that um, I, a few years ago, that would have been a tricky situation is when one of these guys is playing over their head, getting rolls, and then, and then you know, kind of like things aren't working out the way I want to. I'm on a stream table at a pro tournament. I really want to win. That would have been harder for me to deal with. And I couldn't have gotten to where, like, that didn't even phase me. And I wouldn't have gotten there had I not been through this time and time and time again. In the last two derbies I've played, I've played a string of guys in the mid, you know, mid to upper sixes where they're all hot and playing good on me. And it's like, I just when you want to win. And anyway, it's you can't bluff it. You got to go out and play. You got to get beat. You got to make these mistakes and learn from them. So then, so I beat this guy. The only other match that was really the last two, I played this guy from Kuwait. I had him six to two. I was playing. I was at this point, I'm super zoned out, like really, really, really zoned. My brain is super quiet. And somehow from six to two, he started getting some rolls. He missed a few times and hooked me really badly every time he missed. And some things started going his way. And then at six to four, him, I was running out and I knew this was a super big rack because, you know, and I, and the six ball skids on me and he ends up running out and, and then he gets it to six, six. And then I looked at the score and it was seven, six him. And I was like, sure that it was six, six, but I don't think he would deliberately take an extra game. So I'm like, maybe I'm wrong, but like it was six, six, but it's seven, six. And like, I'm just like in the zone and I don't know what's going on. I'm like, well, I can't really say anything because I don't know that it's six, six. And I thought it was six, six, but anyway, I guess I'm down seven, six now. And it was pretty tough because after being up six to two and all that, but then I played, I came with a really, really good shot. And, um, and then anyway, whatever, doesn't matter. I ended up beating him nine, seven. So that was, that was a big set because he was higher rated than me and he's a hell of a player. And, and then, um, and then I played Earl and Earl, I want to compliment Earl. He was playing really well. He was, calm he managed himself at no point did he ever lose his cool he was quiet calm focused in the moment he just kept doing what he was supposed to be doing he was shooting very very straight he was breaking very very well he ran a lot of racks off his break and at this point when i'm playing earl i'm super zoned and i played well like i i just i didn't feel any nerves i felt concern importance but i didn't feel like nervous or anxious and I just kept doing what I needed to do. And I kept running tables and we were trading racks. And then he ran a couple more from his break. I, I got three times I broke wet and got hooked. And once I broke wet and got kissed in and it just wasn't going my way on the break. I didn't get opportunities, but I was playing really well. And at six, four him, I finally blew a chance that would have gotten it to six, five. And that was my last chance because then he goes seven, four breaks and runs out. And next thing I don't shoot again, it's nine, four. But um, so I would have liked that shot pack. But again, you know, I ran the first four opportunities. You know, if I dog one out of five racks, it's it's hard to really, you know, I just I didn't get enough opportunities. But what I would say is that Earl, 
Earl was breaking well and playing well, and he's obviously a better player. So if he's out breaking me, he's he's running out every bit as well as me, obviously, and he's calm and and it's great. And, and when you look at Earl's tournament, he only lost two sets, and he lost to Jason Shaw nine eight, who's the guy that won the tournament. So he lost to the guy that won the tournament nine eight, and Jason got lucky to beat him. And then he lost to the guy, uh, he lost, I think it was to Mika 9-8, who Mika yeah, was playing pretty Mika well 9-8. too. So it's like, to, for Earl to lose out of the tournament to Mika and Shaw, the eventual winner, and then Mika imminent, and lose both sets 9-8, 9-8, and have, have some bad rolls, and then beat everyone else he played. Like, Earl was, like, I think he took fifth, but he was playing good enough to, like, definitely get to the finals or even win the thing. It's just, it's just a funny game, nine ball, and only one guy can get there. And But Earl was playing the best pool I've seen him play for 20 years. So I want to shout out to Earl. Good shooting, Earl. And uh, Yeah. And, and I want to give a shout out to Mika after you bring him up because uh, mm. I guess if, if you don't know yet, uh, I am actually going to be hosting this. I'm the, I guess, the director for this one. I am bringing Mika Imminent and Darren Appleton to uh, Madison, Wisconsin before the tournament at uh, the Dells. Are you going to that, Demetrius? Are you going to play in that? No, unfortunately, I cannot. I've got boot camps. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I am going to be running this one. And uh, if you would like to get in for a private lesson with uh, Mika Imminent and Darren Appleton for that, they're going to be doing uh, boot camps on the first, second, third, and fourth feel free to reach out to me and you can always uh, get into those. And it's going to be a fun time. And we're going to be doing a streaming match on the fifth and the sixth uh, between 10 ball on the Saturday. And then a Sunday, we're either going to do a race to 314.1 or a race to 30 and eight ball. That'll be whoever, you know, the fans choice. So uh, just throw that plug in there really quick. Since we brought up Mika trying to get that fill so that uh, everybody, you know, they, uh, they feel valued while they're here and maybe I can get some more people in the Madison area and help, grow some pool in this area. So that'll be fun. Uh, yeah, so I so, guess. Yeah. Go ahead. I, oh, I, I was just going to go ahead, Rob. Go ahead. Yeah, I would like to give a shout out today to somebody in the pool world, pocket pool world also, and three cushion who just played outstanding. He was in the B division and the handicap. Uh, I'm not sure if he played in the open or not, but, uh, and everybody knows this man. His name is Tom Rossman. He's Dr. Q. He's written books on pool. He goes and gives exhibitions. He's a trick shot uh, champion at, in past years. Uh, he he just he whooped me the worst of anybody I've been whooped by. And I think he be in the non-handicap. I, I believe he beat me like 25 to 12 or something. It was uh, it was just and he made some shots where he actually jumped up in the air clapping for himself because they were that difficult of shots <laughs> to be made and execute. And he actually made them and executed them. And it was, it was tremendous to watch uh, him, him play uh, his game. He, there was a person there that was talking about how many systems they know. And I know 40 systems. He went like this and that. And, and Tom overheard him say that. And I, I nudged him. I said, Tom, how many systems do you know in pool? And he goes, I don't know, 80 maybe. <laughs> I just I just started laughing at that. And 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 he he did apply these, but he's such a gentleman to play against, such a competitor. And that was really that whole tournament. I watched him play a couple other matches, and he just he just played out he made the finals of the uh, B tournament and uh played played just super pool. So I'm gonna shout out to Tom. Uh, he he uh He's good for the game of pocket pool, and he's great for the game of three-cushion billiards. 
He's brought a lot of joy to a lot of people with pool and it brought pool to a lot of people. So I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I just want to wrap up. I, I think that, you know, in the end, just, I just want to finish my little, so I ended up taking ninth. It's if I could have gotten past Earl, uh, his next match was against Dave Dreidel, which was like the only player under 700 left in the field. So it would have been nice to sneak past Earl. I could have maybe gotten past Dave, get into the fifth place and fight my way and see if I could make a final, you know, final four, final three, final two, you know, see how far I can get. But it's always tough, man. Uh, and I feel that overall, I was really happy with my play. I, I had a tough draw, but it could, it could have been tougher, but it could have been a lot easier. But uh, anyway, um, I'm happy with how I'm playing. I'm very, I've never hit the balls any better than I'm hitting them right now. And I'm excited to go to Derby here in a couple of days, uh, fire right. a bunch of shells. And right. I think that the one thing I would say is that when you're playing in tournaments, it's like, you just, you have to do your job. You know, sometimes it's late. You don't feel like playing. Sometimes things aren't going your way, you know, whatever. It's just in the end, you just have to decide. You have to decide how does a, you know, professional player handle these situations. And you just have to say, you know, kind of like, you know, forget about trying to run out, forget about trying to win, just try to do your job, you know? So like when things, when, when, when Earl's playing really well, or when you get a tough draw or when you're down to Fedor, or when you're, when, when you're getting bad roles or when you're, when you're losing to a lower rated player, whatever the situation is, don't worry so much about, I need to win this and pretend that I'm a good player. If I can win this, then I'll look like a good player. Forget it. Just do what a good player is supposed to do. Put in the effort on every side. Good decisions, good efforts, good attitude, and just trust that, yeah, you're going to lose matches, but but what do you want? Do you want to win this one match, or do you want a career? Do you want a future? And I think you just have to decide what you decide, even if it doesn't make a difference in this match, the habit of which decisions you make and how you manage yourself shot after shot, game after game, that's what's going to determine your future. And you have to put your future above the game at stake and just play it the way you know you're supposed to play it. And that takes Okay, so, okay that's I've got, all I got something Thank off you. for both you guys. All right. Because uh, because you make a living of teach, out of teaching pool, Demetrius, and, and Nate does it on the side, uh, but but also has done some teaching. And, and I ran into a situation between someone telling me something and me understanding it that has never happened before quite like this. And the person teaching me is a better player than me. And what he said was, I want you to hit this cue ball with no English. Okay. So that after it makes contact with this ball, it contacts the first rail with no spin on it. And so I was hitting the cue ball down the median center line, just above center, trying, you know, not giving get any spin but well you're get you're giving it spin you're you're not hitting it where you're supposed to hit it and finally i said okay you get behind the ball and you hit it so i can watch you do it and he was giving the shot about a half a tip of inside english so he wasn't hitting it in the center of the cue ball he was hitting it inside english so that when it hit the first rail it wasn't spinning sure it didn't have any spin on it so, so said, there if, was if confusion there on my English, part it's what he as really to, meant to say, if, I think. If he would have said to me, make the cue ball hit the first rail with no spin on it, I would have said, well, I'm hitting the right side of the object ball and the rail's on the right. I have to give this inside English if it's going to hit and not have any spin. So I have a and, comment on that, but I'll let yeah. Nate go for because I've been talking too much. Nate, go ahead. Yeah. Well, and, I, but anyhow, I mean, that's kind of what happened. 
had it been asked me a different way, I would have grasped it right away and been able well, to I, yeah. do that. And I, I, th I think that's the breakdown of people that can teach the game and people that, you know, just can't teach the game. Like, I, I don't know who this player was. We didn't talk about this before now, but like, there's some people that, you know, they just, they understand things in their head, but they're not able to express it in a way that, you know, makes it digestible for the person that's taking it in. So like when you say put no English on the ball, I, the first thing I want to say is what, what does no English mean? Right. Does that mean you're hitting center ball? Because then you're turning into follow English, right? I mean, you're not hitting no English, you're hitting a follow yeah. shot. Right. So when he's saying no English and he's insinuating that you need to have a little bit of inside spin, what he really means to say, I would assume is use some running English off of the rail, right? Because at the end of the day, like if you if you don't hit any English on a ball, are you telling him, is he telling you to hit a sliding ball, like a stop shot sliding ball into the rail so that it's basically just bouncing off without? He was spinning? telling me to use reverse English so that when it comes off that first rail, it's not spinning at all. Yeah, so I-, I It's not well, running. Then you're not gonna- then you're not going to get that with inside spin, right? I mean, it. it, it I think um, the person who's trying to teach you something just is not really a teacher. Like, uh, it just seems a little confusing to me. Um, you have like the one thing I found out from teaching the game is you really have to be extremely explicit in the way that you communicate things, so that there is no discrepancy. Because like, like I, I, I get myself in a lot of trouble when I say. Um, I never use so like when I'm teaching, I never use left and right hand spin. I, I just don't say like use, you know, hit left hand spin on this because my default is say inside or outside. So you, you, I always base my uh, my English based off of the shot itself. So I'll say, you know, hit this with a, a tip of inside English. And what I've noticed is that like my understanding of inside and outside English is a lot more in depth than most of the people that I'm working with. And they have to sit there and think, all right, well, the shots to the right, that means that the inside English is going to be right hand spin. And they have to sit there and like, think about it in their head a little bit and like understand. Now that's, it's good in a sense because you're giving them a deeper understanding of what inside and outside spin is. But like, still it's like, um, I'm using terms that people aren't necessarily, um, as familiar with as I am and that, that, that void in the understanding of where I understand something and they understand something. It's a lot of things that are lost in translation when you're teaching and you really have to simplify things to the student that you're teaching. Everyone understands hit this with one tip of, uh, you know, not, uh, let's say 10 o'clock left-hand spin. No one understands hit this with high outside or yeah, high outside spin. That's it. Right. You know, high outside could be, 11 o'clock it could theoretically be you know nine o'clock at you know something like 30 yeah you yeah, know yeah sure, yeah sure. and you know, it could be any of those things depending but on like, which side it, of the ball your object ball you're hitting yeah yet. so and, and so this is and if you yeah. just if you just well if you just sit there and tell them say like hit hit a high outside well what does that mean because like my understanding of high outside is based off of the shot that i'm shooting at and i get my idea of what that looks like by being on the shot and being become being a part of the shot. So yeah. I, I don't, you know, I know that I have to hit on the left side of the cue ball and probably high, but I don't actually know until I get down on the shot and my brain analyzes it from the shooter's perspective, exactly where that high outside is. And until you really have that understanding and you try to teach it, if you just say like high outside, there's no, there's no representation of what that actually means to somebody else who's not in your brain. So I think it's just a breakdown in communication and just not being well, a great teacher. Well, I my, think that's my... what it was, what we had. Yeah. So let me jump in here. So my opinion is, is that words, I mean, we use words because they're the best tools we have to communicate verbally. That doesn't mean that they're good. And so like, I think about, I think about the, uh, you know, the, the challenge that I, I had to do in, uh, 
elementary school or something where they had, I remember the exercise where they had one person looking at a picture and trying to describe to the other person how to draw that picture, like draw this line and draw the square above this box or, you know, and, and, and you look at the final thing, it looked like a game of telephone, people's interpretations, how big the box was or where it was or all these things. It didn't look anything the same. When it comes to pool, trying to describe how to hit shots with words is just very, very, very bad. And so the reason I don't really do Zoom lessons and I, you know, I've, I've done one or two and I don't like them because you're kind of limited to watching somebody play through a screen, which it's night and day different from being right by them and watching how they're hitting the balls and watching. You can see so much more side by side about their timing and about their their presence and all these things. But then trying to describe stuff to them over a over a, a Zoom screen, it's just horrible. So here's my opinion. If you're going to learn from like books and videos, this is the problem is that you're listening to words and writing and yes, you can see how the person hit them and you can kind of like see through a screen. And I'm not saying they're bad, but the reason I do face to face in three days is because I could just, you know, I'll, I, there's so many times where I, I say brain loves pictures. Like I'll, I'll try to describe how I want to hit a shot. and They'll hit it twice and it won't be working. I'm like, look, brain loves pictures. Do this. And I'll get down and shoot it. And it, even if they're like, no, 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 I hear what you're saying. or I know what you mean. It's like, no, no, no. Watch this. Now do that. And it's like. You just bypass the whole brain and analytical thing. Now, of course, you have to learn technically how the shots work and what's going on. And you have to understand, you know, some you have to understand what you're doing. But there's so much better to just download from you to them, bypassing all this cognitive mumbo jumbo that's only getting in the way in a game of telephone. And so I like to just now and I also have three days with my students so I can teach them my vocabulary of how I what, you know, so we can spend the first half the first day we're kind of learning how we talk about shots and so we better better communicate with words but even still so much better side by side this is what i'm looking at you know, sticker them up here's where the object ball is here's where the cue ball is i want you to make it look like this your turn and then i could just mold them like clay until they look like they look like a player so that's it how's that rob yeah well Satisfied? yeah yeah when you know when a ball hits a rail it comes off that it, with no English on it, zero. It comes off the rail with some running English. That's what it, it picks up some running English off the rail. And and when you want somebody to not do that, then that takes some reverse English. It has to hit the first rail with a little reverse, so it comes off that first rail with no spin on it. Right, right, and, right. And, and, and Rob, I know exactly what you're. I know exactly what you're talking about. There's a shot that I always used to miss hit. And it's when you're cutting a ball in the side pocket that's near the side and the cue ball is going to hit the long rail and then the end rail and come up table. And normally, you know, like say there's an angle where you cut a ball on the side, you hit long rails, end rail, and then towards the opposite side, there's like a scratch of the side, two rail scratch of the side. Yeah. And if you want it to check up and like maybe go from end rail straight up to the opposite end rail, right. you can use a little inside and check it up. Well, in my brain for years, I thought that I needed to use enough inside English so that it was still spinning with inside on off the second end rail so that it would reverse off the end rail. But I learned you just need a little bit to cancel the running spin that it picks up off the side rail. Yeah, so all you, you need go. to do is use a twist of inside so that it, it comes off the, the first rail naturally. Yep. And then if it goes into the end rail with no spin, it'll come straight to the opposite end rail. So I always overspun that because I thought I needed it to be spinning on the end rail. But what I was actually trying to do is what you're saying, just use a little bit of inside to cancel out the rail and do spin it picks up and all that so anyway right right yeah yeah right it, it's it's well, it's yeah. the way it's worded 
And I think you have to look at the person you're trying to explain that to. First off, where are they in the pool world? <laughs> and and yeah. then kind of tweak that a little bit. And this person wasn't a teacher either, Nate. He yeah. was just a player well, and, who was and, better and than me. Of, and he, was, yeah. he was showing me a shot from a player who was way better than him that he learned. Yeah. And so that's and, that and really at the end of the at the end of the day, what he's describing works completely different as to whether or not you're going into that, uh, you know, the rail at, let's say, you know, if, if zero degrees is like exactly nine, like five degrees, degrees, you're going in the rail. Yeah. Yeah. If you go into a rail, like if this is your rail, if you're going into your rail, like on like a straight down, almost at it, or if no. you're coming at a very slow angle like this, right. Uh, it's going to, you know, everything changes based off of how, how wide you come out. As opposed to, you know, if you're going almost straight into it, it's going to become more like it's coming out straight because it's right. going to want to straighten out. But if right. you're coming in at a tiny angle, it's going to widen out even more. Yeah. Right. And, you know, those are the things that like the nuances of the shot that you're shooting. It just doesn't really work if you're just saying do it this way. Well, OK. Sure. Sure. What does that yeah. mean? Right. So, um I mean, I guess, uh, Rob, we can we can kind of close this out uh, for this discussion today. But uh, how did you? I don't think you actually told us how you did and how your yeah. overall viewing of that tournament was. So tell oh, us how uh, your I tournament just, went I, and how. What do you thought? All these tournaments, I, these three question tournaments, I go to. To me, I learn something every single one I go to. I brought I brought home some information and some material in my head, things I saw happening on the table from the players I played against, also. And uh, I had a high run in any tournament of, I ran seven in this tournament. Uh, I had a few fives. So I, I, my game is, is coming up. Uh, Pedro, Pedro Buena said to me uh, two tournaments ago, he said, you keep going and playing against better players. He says, you keep doing that and you will improve every year by 10, by 10, a 10th of a point. Okay. From a 0.5 to a 0.6 to a 0.7 to a point every year, he said. But you you have to continue to play against these better players. So overall, I, my feeling was, yeah, I I brought home COVID with me, of course, and then I gave it to my wife, and uh, so I mean that was kind of a mess. And I'm I'm I think everybody that played in this tournament was going to get COVID, uh, hmm. pr pretty much, it, or if they've already had it, maybe they get it again. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a super spreader event for sure. Uh, in a casino, it was crowded, uh, close spaces, uh, and and all that. But besides the COVID thing, uh, yeah, I I just I am going to continue to play in three cushion tournaments where there are better players and hopefully professional and world champions. And hopefully, I get to be in a bracket where I play against them. <laughs> Good shooting, Rob. That's something that's fun to put up. You know, it's fun to score billiards. You know, like every billiard is a joy. So it's I'm glad you got to have some fun and play some good players. Uh, I just want to answer to Ryan. Uh, I'm playing all three events. I used to feel silly playing the bank pool event because I'm like, yeah, I'm not that good at playing bank pool. But then I learned a secret, which is that basically nobody's good at playing bank pool except for like Sky, Alex, <laughs> and like Billy or something. So it's like basically just play them all and you got a chance. So anyway, yeah. Right. But no, that's, that's uh good times. And Nate, you've been playing again. Do you have any other tournaments coming up? Uh, well, I'm, I'm actually playing basically a tournament every single weekend at this point. Uh, I'm playing Jeez. almost every single Friday and almost every single Sunday. Are these uh, all handicapped like, or how are you getting into these things? Well, the Friday night, so the, so the Friday and Sunday ones uh, are weekly events. So um, okay. the Friday is completely open. Uh, the Sunday has been handicapped. 
Uh, so I've been playing in those. And then Saturday, I'll try to find something along the way. So two weeks ago, I was able to play in the uh, the Oshkosh Open Masters division uh, for 10 ball and eight ball. I was lucky enough to win the 10 ball. Uh, the eight ball, uh, I, I didn't perform quite as well. Um, I, I, it's it's tough, I think, actually, to go off of a tournament where you win and then you know kind of go through the ups and downs and the highs and lows of winning a tournament and then turn around and like, reset immediately yeah, do it again uh, yeah <laughs> two hours yeah like two hours later like you're, you're coming down from you know a, a high of winning a tournament you're feeling really good you're like yeah you know I, I did something oh wait i gotta go play an opening round match oh oh well here let me let me just put this aside and think about it later <laughs> that's always been a really uh that's, that's always been a struggle for me and i think it's a struggle for a lot of people but um i think that's one of the things where like the pros are like just being immersed in that lifestyle where okay great i just snapped off the the you know, the Arcadia open and now I'm on my way to Derby city and nobody cares anymore. And it's just back to another opening round match at the Derby city. And it's like, a, it's, it's a fun the one, the one mantra I have, because I I've gone through this and it's like, yeah, if, if you think about it, like, if you think about it, like I'm going to gear up and play a hard set and then I get to relax or I, I have a tough match. So I'm going to play hard against this guy, but now I've got an easier match. I don't have to bear down. It's like, if you, if you like hit the gas and then relax and let off the gas and hit the gas and let off the, so I just, it's like, you, yeah, you're right. The pros just literally hold their gas pedal to the floor. And, uh, and so one thing that I think about a lot is like, when I start seeing the finish line, you know, I'm up eight to six in a race to nine and I, I see a run out of like, man, if I can just get through this, I win. If I just get through this, I'm safe. I, I just remind myself my mantra is like, there is no finish line. I, if I run through these balls, I'm going to flip a coin with somebody. We're going to be doing it again. And I, it's not about just let me get to this finish line and then I can celebrate or relax or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. I'm going to be living in this spot for the rest of my life. So, yeah. Am I having some color? We've had some really colorful people join our chat today. We got like we got strippers joining, and we got like Holocaust people and like Nazi. People. This is weird, I got a man. lot of yeah. I see so you that. Gotta, yeah, you got to answer this question because uh, Raph, I'm sorry, Raph well, Cleary's I, uh, asked twice yeah. about the overlapping yeah. between the World Championship Nine Ball and Griff's U.S. Open events. Uh, you yeah, said I, that I would say. Ralph, uh, ask this question tomorrow because we're going to do a, a regular um, – if you're able to join us tomorrow for the live chat, uh, try to do it tomorrow because I know that we're on a little bit of a time crunch, Demetrius, and I I have a private lesson that I got to go to. Uh, in Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I'm more than happy to talk about that. I, and I've kind of discussed it in the past. Basically, the general the generality is like the U.S. Open events are like really, really good, right? They're great events. But they're not one of the majors, right? They're not, they're not uh, the world – nine ball or they're not they're not a matchroom event and they're not um you know a predator event now and you know at the end of the day when our uh, when the event schedule is this packed you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of bookovers. and at the end of the day let's let natural selection take its course the best events will survive and the worst events will go bye-bye i mean it sucks that it happens this year but at the end of the day it's like if if the u.s open events the 10 ball eight ball banks one pocket if they're that good of events they'll endure on and they'll still be here. And then, you know, in the future, let's say, uh, you know, a tournament that just got done that almost nobody heard about, uh, the music city open, maybe the music city open isn't around in five years. And, uh, you know, because events like that have thinned themselves off the schedule, there's a plenty of a home for the U S open events, uh, that can fill that void. And, you know, yeah, at, at the end of the day, like, uh, well, and it's, I mean, and it's I, not all I, bad I, for, for guys like me, I'll tell you one one last thought I've got about tournaments I play is I realize like I'll still try to keep playing the U.S. Open. Uh, I love the U.S. Open. I think it's um, 
a great part, a great event. I think playing in a matchroom event and playing in the U.S. Open against the world's best once a year, you know, I'm okay with that. But as far as like my other tournaments I play, I think like Derby and Turning Stone are really good for me. Uh, I still get to play a Fedor or, you know, an Earl or whatever, but I don't have to play them first round every round. Yeah. Uh, I get to play against some players where I can actually, I'm in the top 10, 15% of the field where I can win my way into the money and then kind of free roll from there. And, and I've got a legitimate shot to get to the finals if I, with a good play and a good draw. So it's like, I, I feel like for me, um, if all I did was play international matchroom events, I'd be pretty discouraged and it would be pretty tough. But like, if I can play some of these in-betweeners, you know, um, those are really good for me. And so I still like playing, a, you know, at least one or two big events where I really get, you know, push yourself, right? Even further out of your comfort zone. But uh, but so my point is, is that if there's an overlap and a lot of these players are playing the World Nine Ball Championship, that just opens up the doors for guys like Jeremy Sosi and Shane McMahon and, and Josh Roberts and, and, and some of the, you know, middle-level pros to kind of go and, and and fight for those titles and yeah. it, it's good to, it's i don't actually mind a little overlap i just think it provides opportunity i think they're gonna fill that's my point i still think they're gonna fill yeah. we're gonna be following you demetrius yeah i've i've got derby and then after that it's like three months where i'm just training week after week i'm probably not gonna get to play another tournament till april but we'll that's okay i gotta derby. i gotta i gotta teach teachers gotta teach <laughs> yep and I'll be playing. Uh, I'll be playing the Wisconsin, uh, the the Predator event in Wisconsin coming up, as well as the Amateur Ten Ball, the Amateur Eight Ball, and then the uh, the teams. So I would hate to have to play in that four thing. events. I'll be I would hate to play in that events. thing. You know, you split sets with me, and I got to try to beat you in a shootout. It would be looking like uh, <laughs> Nayuki Oi. I'd hate to. Uh, I'd hate to get into How a shootout with you. That? How funny oh, that is that? was awesome! Like yeah. Throwing a samurai sword around <laughs> fourteen yeah. to thirteen, dude. That that's so little great. jumping I, tournament. I got to get that video. I got to get that video tomorrow for the stream. I mean, that's, that's just the greatest thing ever. Um, well, I guess let's, uh, let's wrap it up there. Uh, we got to get to our, uh, our meetings and, uh, Rob, you got to go. Have a great day, man. All right. So, thanks for tuning in everyone. Cool players out yep. there. God bless y'all. All right. Thanks everybody. And we'll, uh, we're, we'll be back again tomorrow, uh, for the regular recap show. So this was not that we'll be back again tomorrow. So see, see you later, everyone. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you've liked what you've heard and you want to contribute to the future content that will be made, consider joining the podcast's Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash queue it up. Becoming a Patreon of the podcast will help to create all of the future content that the podcast will have. Special shout out to Dave Peters, Aaron Taylor, Pete Silsby, Morgan Lupton, Ben Young, Robert Miller, Andy Morse, and Bill Pelham for your generous contributions to the podcast's Patreon. If you ever need any more information on what the Patreon system is or how you can contribute outside of the Patreon, please reach out to the podcast or Nate himself. If you would like to contribute to the podcast for free, consider sharing any podcasts or the podcast page on Facebook itself. Also, leaving a review and a rating if you listen through iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Cue It Up podcast.